You're listening to the Bridge Christian Fellowship Message Archive. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Seattle. For more information, visit thebridgeseattle.org. Today's message is Ephesians 3 by Pastor Dan Dameron, given on June 4, 2017. Here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts and through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, what we have here in chapter 3 is, in part, a continuation of what we talked about last week in, in chapter 2, this um, impressive thing uh, to Paul of the Gentiles and the Jews being made into one people. Um, but even that part, what, what, we're really, what we're supposed to have in Paul's structure is, is a little prayer in the middle. Some people suggest that um, it may have been designed so that if they had settings where they didn't have as much time that they could read just the first half. And so Paul here is, is wrapping up, and Paul tends to distract himself. Um, I, I can't remember which one it is, but there's another, there's another one of his letters, and he says, finally, little paragraph, and then the other half of the book. Um, so, it, and it really points out the dictated nature of the New Testament, that He's talking along, and he's like, okay, now I'm going to say this. Oh, but that reminds me of this, and I'm going to bring that in. So he comes to this really kind of high-level literature prayer he has planned, but he distracts himself back 
to the point of, of chapter 2. Um, and, and so first he wants to um, point out this administration he's, he's had. He's, so um, for some of the other churches, probably not for the church specifically at Ephesus, but for some of the other churches in the area that may not know his, his story or not, not know it as well, he wants to remind them, I specifically had this mission to the Gentiles. And he says this is a mystery um, going back in, in time uh, that later he'll say angels had longed to look into. Uh, spiritual beings were mystified, he would say, by what God was doing. And now uh, in Christ, God has revealed this plan that they were not getting. Um, so some of, the, some of the questions that I think that are answered by this new revealing of the mystery are, Questions like, well, why do the wicked prosper? We see that in, in the Old Testament. You know, so it wasn't revealed to people before why these things were going. Why is the Lord tearing? You know, they had for centuries, the nation of Israel was saying, eh, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, he's going to come wipe out all those bad guys for us. Why isn't it happening yet? Another bad thing happened to us. Why hasn't the day of the Lord come? Um, and Paul says, now, now you get the answer to those questions. I wanted to read verses 4 through 6 uh, from the message version um, because, as we, as we talked about in week one, this is in a very um, florid style of, uh, of rhetoric. It's really, I'm not familiar with florid, Andrew. Um, it, it's, a very, it's a very wordy kind of highfalutin. You like that one better? Uh, it's a kind of highfalutin way of talking. So, um, in the message version, I think it's, it's much clearer what Paul is saying in this little aside. So, uh, as you read over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's Spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is, is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. So you have a really a, a very shrunk down, concise version of, of, of chapter two. Doesn't matter whether you were previously part of the covenant or not, uh, that whole thing with the uh, circumcised or not, now it's, it's one body together. And Paul says, that even though he was the leaster of all the saints, he makes up a new word there um, just to drive home what he's saying, um, that he, he is the least, pointing to um, his background. Um, and some people have, have issues with when Paul uses phrases like this. You know, I think it's maybe being uh, false modesty or something. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy... 115, he says that he's the, the chief of sinners or the, or the foremost of sinners. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says that even though he's the least of the apostles. And what it reminds me of is when I was a freshman in college, uh, I had a class where we were going through uh, the book Confessions by Augustine. And at the end of his life, after having, well, not really the end, but in his fairly old age, which I'm probably approaching now. When I was 18, I thought it was the end of his life. <laughs> now, I guess it's not really the end of his life. But anyway, Augustine, as a, 
as a very mature person in, in years and development, looked back and after everything he had done, he identified his, his most regretted sin as this time when he was a teenager and he and his buddies broke into an orchard, picked a whole bunch of pears and just chucked them around. And as an 18-year-old, I thought that was the stupidest thing I had ever read in my life. This is a guy who had debauched his way all the way around the Mediterranean, um, and he's saying, oh, but those pears. Um, what I think about this now, and why I think about it in the context of Paul um, talking about him in this way, is that with the advantage of hindsight, we can see what we were doing and why. So, some people say, well, logically, it's ridiculous that Paul would say he is the, the worst of all sinners when you, you know, look at Nero killing everybody or everybody killing everybody. I mean, that was basically the replacement for professional sports at the time was just to kill people. Um, with all that going on, how can Paul call himself the worst of sinners? He can do that because he has a, a view into his internal process when he doesn't have that view into other people's. So, what we should be doing, when we see other people doing stupid things, we should say, that's ridiculous and stupid and probably evil, but I don't know what is driving them to do that, so I'm going to reserve some judgment. I'm not going to say that what they're doing is okay, but, but I don't know their thought process. But what I do know is my own thought process, at least looking back. Sometimes in the, in the middle of doing something stupid, we are not being very aware of our thought process. So Paul says... I persecuted the church. I blasphemed. I killed the, the believers before Jesus saved me. And I know why I did it. At the time, I put myself forward as this person being zealous for the law, that I was trying to protect something precious, that I was trying to honor God. But Paul knows himself, and he can look back and say, whatever I said to other people, now I, I can reflect and say, I was doing that out of pride. I was doing that to advance my position. I... I was killing people so that I could rise in status and power. So this is why Paul is able to say these things not in a, in a trivial way. He can look at everything else happening in the world and still say, hey, I, I'm the least. But he also can say, that doesn't matter. It doesn't disqualify what I'm saying to you now. Because he says, through the power of God, now he's been given this mission. And that's the same power. Remember, um, we've been talking about the same power that raised Jesus from the grave. That is the power. Whenever he says power in this book, that's what he's talking about. The resurrection power. The power that God used in creation and then recreation when he raised Jesus is the power that is in the church, the power that's available to us. That was the power that took Paul, the leaster of the saints, the least of the apostles, the foremost of sinners, and gave him this mission to evangelize the Gentiles, which he says enlightens everyone in order to inform even the spiritual realm. So spiritual beings have been wondering, what is going on with this thing? Why, you know, why don't we just wipe that out and make more supernovas or something? And make a supernova out of, out of our sun. I know that our sun is not going to supernova because it's too small, but we're just running with that. Um, yeah, so for these spiritual beings who are wondering, you know, God, wh why are we messing with this? Now that it's made clear that in the, in the church, in the ecclesia, as he says, the big C church, 
the assembly of all the, the saints and the ones who, um, who love Jesus, the power that raised Christ has br now brought us into God's household and is at work in the church to see God's plan made complete in reconciling the whole world to him. And one of the ways that that plan has, has to come to completion is for us to understand what's happening. It can't really come together if the people who are um, tasked with making it come together don't get what's going on. So, he says, we have, um, we have access to God with confidence. And that's a crazy, crazy thing. That's the, that's the power uh, of God at work. And because of all these things that we've just talked about, he says, and, and I like verse 13 the best in King James, which I don't know, maybe that again speaks to my age, but in the King James it says, faint not. And I like that much better than don't lose heart, as it says here, or don't be discouraged in the NIV, because those things seem to me to just be like, hey, don't feel bad that I'm in prison. I think Paul actually is like, yes, please, feel bad for me. <laughs> this isn't what I wanted to have happen. But don't feel bad in a way that deters you from the mission. Don't faint. Don't fall back. Think of me. Pray for me. I, I don't want to be chained to a guard. But when you do those things, stay, stay on task. Stay on mission. Because we are, we are doing something here that's part of God's big plan. So then finally, we get back. You know, Verse 1 is the beginning of a prayer. And now we, we just get back to that um, after halfway through. And it's a very... It's very good Trinitarian prayer, as you know, we talked about somebody wants to challenge Paul's authorship of, of every one of the letters that's attributed to him, and one of the reasons that they want to challenge this is because, um, you know, the, the 20th century modernist scholars are like, oh, no, Trinity, that's a, something they made up hundreds of years later. So this, this prayer being so nicely Trinitarian, uh, some people want to use to say it couldn't have been written when it was. Um, but yeah, in verse 14 uh, through 17, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We have all, all the persons of God involved in this amazing project, uh, which, which we are. Um, you have this phrase that, the father from whom every family is named. Uh, there's a couple of interesting things about that. One, you've got, again, the highfalutin way of talking. He's the, the, the potter of every patria. So he's, he's doing that. Um, now I'm forgetting that word. Alliteration. Alliteration, thank you. Um, so he's getting that for the flow. He's also, though, putting, pitting God against Caesar, you know, who, who claims himself to be a god, because... One of the titles that, that Caesar claimed for himself was the father of the fatherland. So Paul says, all right, Caesar, you want to say that you're the father of, of Rome? Well, God's the father of every family, of every clan. Um, and, and with this prayer, what, what he prays for them is that the power of God will let them understand what's going on. The breadth and the length and the height and the depth of of Christ's love, the fullness of God's love and power. What he's really praying for, he's saying, I wish that you could know the unknowable. I wish that you could comprehend the incomprehensible. And 
this is obviously, on a, on a strict intellectual level, it's impossible. But it's somewhat attainable on a relational level and through God's power. And then we wrap up with, with the benediction um, where he says that God is able to do more than we can even ask or think. Reminded me of a, of a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, he was more talking about sin, but I'm going to adapt it. Lewis said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. God has so much for us, and we're like, oh, but what if I have to give up this thing? Um, and I, and I, you know, I could, yeah, I want to bring this stick up. We're going to go to ice cream if you will just put that stick down and get in the car. <laughs> oh, the stick, it's covered in crap. Great. Um, we have this offer that is so far beyond all the things that we cling to if, if we can just begin to apprehend it. And, but even to begin to comprehend that takes the power of God. And he says, glory in the church. That's a pretty, it's a pretty impressive statement, that God's glory is contained right here. That's intimidating. God's glory is in Jesus the Messiah. Well, that's, that's a little easier for us to grasp. And, and throughout all generations, throughout all time. So, um, this, this prayer, I think it, it is great, even um, either in spite of or because of its highfalutin nature. <laughs> it's, it's a great thing to read, but uh, as with why I used the uh, chunk of the message version in there, it can get a little convoluted. Um, so what do, what do we do with it? Uh, a few of the things I want us to take away from this passage one is this, is this concept of being the leaster, the leastest, making it up. What, what does humility mean? We run into false humility, I think, quite a bit, um, where we think that we're not supposed to be proud, and so we deflect any talk of things that we do well. So as an aside, this is about 50% on point. Part of being an adult I think is the ability to take a compliment well. So, as you go out into your week, I feel pretty confident that most of you are going to receive a compliment sometime this week. Don't say, oh, no, no. Don't, you know, don't try to talk about how whatever it was could have been d done better. Say, oh, thank you. I tried, uh, I put a lot into that, or whatever. Just, I mean, basically, you can just go with thank you. But be able to take a compliment. That's, that's just part of going through life in a healthy manner. Back to the passage. Um, what humility really means is not, uh, is not saying, oh, I'm crap, I can't do anything well. It's, it means having an accurate picture of yourself. And so sometimes that means, hey, don't, don't talk big. Don't feel like you always have to uh, say that you're the best at everything. Uh, that's an easier one for us to grasp. People... You know, adults who are always trying to top the last story, we, we feel like that's pretty ridiculous. Um, but on the other side, we also have to say, if you're trying to um, get underneath every 
other story or, or deflect every compliment. That's, that's almost as ridiculous. What we need to do is say, who am I? What am I doing? What, what am I doing well? What do I need to work on? But then we have to look at those things in, in light of Christ. Because like Paul, we can, we can see our internal process, and we can know that, well, I did a really great thing helping those people, but I know, nobody else sees, but I know I did some of that for some selfish reasons, so I want to discount it all. Um, or whatever kind of thing that we want to undercut that with, what we can answer that with is that Jesus was raised from the dead. So there's no, there's nothing in our past that would be more determinative for our future than to be dead, right? Can we agree on that? So you could say, well, you know, I didn't have all the best advantages growing up and that prevents me from doing this thing in the future. It doesn't prevent you more from doing something in the future than the guy who just got run over by a bus. So if God can raise from dead, then he can overcome anything that you've done in your past or any defect, whether perceived or accurate, that you've had in the past. So Paul is able to say, I did the worst stuff, and yet, through the same power that raised Christ from the dead, now I am at the forefront of what God is doing in the world. What my mission is the most important thing going on. Without pretending that I didn't do bad things, but without saying that that prevents me from being in the, um, in the vanguard of the, of the mission. In verse 16, it says, Paul says that he prays that we would be strengthened with power through God's Spirit. That that power, the power of, of creating the universe, the power of raising Christ from the dead, is at work in us to leave any of those things behind us and move forward. Anything is possible now. Because we have this power from the, from the Father from whom we all get our name. It doesn't matter what names other people or we ourselves have called ourselves in the past. Now our name comes from the Father. Another thing I think is important for us to take away from this is, is this talk about to comprehend the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God. It is immeasurable and unbounded. We are not ever going to find the limits of God's love. It can't run out. It won't run out, which also means that there is plenty for us to share. Are we thinking about other people the way that Paul is thinking about um, the people in these churches? Um, are, we, are we hoping that other people come to understand God's love? So, do you, do you care if anyone else knows? Um, if you do care, do you question if, if God can bring that to, to pass in somebody's life? This is a story, it's a two stages away story that I have stolen and, and, and used over and over. Um, but a guy I know named, named Brent, his grandmother prayed for her husband for 60 years, every day for 60 years that he would come to know Jesus. I think most of us would say, Boy, after the first decade or two, maybe I'm going to take a break. But 60 years she prayed, and after 60 years he did. Um, there's most things when I pray for a couple of weeks, I feel like, well, I guess, that, I guess God doesn't want that to happen. Sometimes what God is doing, you know, 
is, is part of a process that we don't get to see all of. So, um, God's, God's love, God's power is unbounded. It can keep happening. If, it's, um, if it doesn't seem to be coming together well, sometimes we don't understand the mystery until it's unveiled. So, sometimes in my life I have wondered if, uh, if I was on the right track, you know, in, in different years when I did college ministry, I was like, you know, I could be building a fence right now, and it would go a lot smoother, and I would be able to see at the end of the day whether I had accomplished anything. And on days like that, one of the things I did was I thought about, but some of you in this room, I thought about, uh, like, well, God's doing good things in them, and even if it wasn't directly because of something I did, I, I had some part of that. You know, um, but there's a lot of people around the city, around this, this state, and uh, around the world that God has done great things in, and I see God doing great things through, and I say, somehow I was a part of that. Not, in some ways, probably I slowed it down at different times, but in some ways, I've been a part of that. There are people making a difference in the world, and I have had the opportunity to be uh, part of making a difference in their life, and, and that's what we can hold on to. Maybe we don't get to be uh, a part of the, of the biggest things, but maybe we get to be a part of the thing that led to the thing that led to the thing that is the big thing. Sometimes I hear some of those people, uh, some, of, some of us here, question, oh, you know, like, like I have sometimes questioned, can I, am I or can I really be a part of that impact um, on people for Jesus and, and to change the world? And for one thing, it just boggles my mind the way that some people that I think so highly of wonder about what they're doing. Um, so, whenever you think that about yourself, when you, if, if you're having a bad day and you think, man, can I, can I do anything useful? Think about the fact that there is somebody um, that you know that if they knew you were thinking that would, would either be just confused that you could even think that or they would slap you upside the head and say, don't be ridiculous. Um, because, there, yeah, there's been so many people over the years who, who questioned their, their value. I'm like, what are you talking about? You are the one who is really doing it. You are the one who is my encouragement to get through this week. So, um, so let's go to the questions, because the first one is kind of tied to that. Um, yeah, we'll look at these. We'll take a, a, a minute of quiet thinking about them. Uh, maybe uh, at the potluck after, you could talk to somebody about some of them. Maybe not all of them. Some of them are a little touchy. But um, So pursuant to what I was just talking about, how is your humility? Do you have an accurate picture of yourself, or do you struggle on one side or the other with an in kind of inferiority issues, or with pride. And both of those are equally unhelpful. Um, question number two, is there anything from your past that you have problems believing that Jesus can deal with or that you think disqualifies you from being worked through by God to help others and change the world? Um, of course, if you identify something that, remember, we've, we said that, but that there isn't anything but you got to process that before you can move past it. And then question three, 
who are you praying for, or do you think you should be praying for, to come to understand what God has done for us? So let's take a minute and think about that stuff, and then we'll wrap up. So they say that Socrates said that to know yourself was the beginning of wisdom. In the Old Testament, it says that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. I'm going to say both of those things are right about the beginning of wisdom. And then it also says in Scripture, though, that perfect love drives out fear. So know yourself. Have that fear of the Lord. Say, he's, he's way too big. He's way too powerful. That's crazy. And then bring those things together, what I know about myself, what I know about God, and, and put them underneath what Paul is saying here, that as big and as powerful and as incomprehensible as God is, and as mixed up and sometimes great and sometimes awful as we are, those two things come together in the love of God and are made into a mysterious, crazy mix that God's love and power runs right through us to change the world. To impact the people around us. So, know yourself. Know God. Let those things just bash together in your brain. But I pray um, as a rhetorical device, I pray that you would understand this, and also, literally, I pray that you would understand the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God. Thanks for listening to today's message. To find out more about The Bridge, or to listen to any message from our complete archive, visit thebridgeseattle.org.